We're going to be looking at Baptist Catechism number 30 this afternoon, which asks, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? That's a wonderful question. Um, we talk about Christ being humbled for us. Well, in what way was he humbled for us? Answer, Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. Let us give ourselves now to the reading of Scripture, Philippians 2, 1 through 8. Here, uh, the humiliation of Christ, the humbling of Christ, is described to us. Paul the Apostle wrote to the church at Philippi, saying, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, that is a wonderful exhortation to the church, isn't it? To, to be humble amongst one another, to, to love one another, uh, to not be selfish, but to look out for others. I continue reading now. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there, Paul does describe to us the humiliation of Christ and exhorts us, saying we ought to have this same attitude in ourselves, that we would be brought low for the sake of others and for the sake of the glory of God. Let us pray for the Lord's blessing on the ministry of the Word this afternoon. Father in heaven, do help us to understand this very important principle. May we understand what Christ has done for us. He was made low for us so that He might be exalted for us. And may we learn from this uh, not only to trust in Him, but also to emulate Him in our lives, that we would be humble and lowly ourselves, that we would live not for ourselves, but for the good of others and for the glory of God. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I wanted to remind you of where we've been in our catechism. I do love our catechism. As you know, uh, the gospel is really methodically presented to us in all of these questions. Sometimes we can get lost in the, the details of it, though, and it's good to be reminded of where we have been. Question 23 of our catechism asks, Did God leave all mankind to perish in the state of sin and misery? We, we heard about the fall of man into sin. And the, and the question that was asked is, Did God leave humanity to, to, to wallow in this sad estate, this estate of sin and misery? And the good news was this, God, having out of His mere good pleasure from all eternity, elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a Redeemer. So there was bad news told previously. And here in question 23, good news is delivered. The good news is this, God has determined to provide a Redeemer. Question 24, who is the Redeemer of God's elect? That's the next question we must ask. Who is this Redeemer? Answer, 
The only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was and continueth to be God and man, in two distinct natures and one person forever. So there the Redeemer is identified. He is Christ Jesus the Lord. And something is told to us also of His nature. He is the eternal Son of God come in the flesh. So one person in two distinct natures forever. Question 25. How did Christ being the Son of God, become man. How did this happen? And of course, there is great mystery in this. But we are told in the answer to this question, Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to Himself a true body and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and born of her, yet without sin. So it is through the incarnation, through the virgin birth, that Christ, the Son of God, became man. And then question 26 What offices does Christ execute as our Redeemer? And it is here that we learn that Christ as our Redeemer executes or fulfills the offices of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king. Now listen to this. Both in his state of humiliation and exaltation. So we have been learning about what it means for Christ to fulfill the office of prophet, priest, and king. And now we are going to consider what it means that Christ was humbled, that he was humiliated for us, um, that, that, he was in, that he entered into a state of humiliation. The answer um, concerning what it means for Christ to be humbled is this. Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born. He was born into this world, born of a virgin. The eternal Son of God took on flesh through the virgin birth, so he was brought low. We have to picture Christ on high and the process by which he was brought into this low estate. The first thing we say is that he was born, and then our catechism adds this little phrase, and that in a low condition. And here we are reminded of the fact that when Christ was born into this world, he was not born into a a royal family or a rich family. He was not born into a family that was prosperous according to the world's standards, but he was born to Mary and to her husband, to whom she was betrothed, Joseph. And they were very poor. And so Christ was born into a poor family. This Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. She did not have a place, a proper place to give birth to this child, nor a place of her own, but Christ was born to a couple that was impoverished. So he was born, and that in a low condition. Next we are told that he was made under the law. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. Isn't it incredible to think that the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one through whom the law of old was given, did in fact take a position under the law in order to accomplish our salvation. He was born under the law. He was subject to the civil laws in the society in which he lived. But here I think we have a reference to the law of Moses. He was born under that law and was obligated therefore to keep all of the commandments that the Lord had given to old covenant Israel. This was, an, this was a humble thing. This was an act of humiliation. Christ was brought low, born into the world in a low condition, made under the law. 
Next, we read this phrase, undergoing the miseries of this life. It is not as if Christ, being born into this world, was somehow immune from the miseries of this life. No, we must confess that He suffered not just on the cross, though that is usually what we think of when we think of the sufferings of Christ. We think of the events leading up to the cross and the cross itself, but we must confess that He endured all of the miseries of life that are common to men. Isaiah 53.3, this is an Old Testament text, but it's looking forward to the coming Messiah, says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So yes, this has its fulfillment in the events leading up to the crucifixion of Christ ultimately. But he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And indeed this is true in the whole of life. We know that he had no place to lay his head. He lived a life of poverty. He was abandoned by some who were near to him. He wept at the loss of a dear friend. Here I am reminding you that Christ in his humiliation underwent all of the miseries of life. And this has application to us in that he is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. He did not live a privileged life. He did not live a life immune from the sufferings common to men in this world, but he underwent the miseries of this life. The next phrase in our catechism tells us that he also came under the wrath of God. This may sound strange to some, but it is true. It is evident in this Matthew twenty-seven forty-six text where we read, and about the ninth hour, uh, this is when Jesus is hanging on the cross, He cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So God did pour out his wrath upon Christ as he hung on the cross. He did not only die on the cross so that your sins might be cleansed, but he died on the cross so that he might take upon himself God's wrath. This he did willingly. In submission to God the Father, this he did willingly on behalf of sinners, but he did endure the wrath of God when he died on the cross in the place of sinners. Next we find this phrase, and the cursed death of the cross. I think uh, here the emphasis is twofold. Christ was humbled. He, He suffered by dying in the place of sinners. He endured all of the miseries of this life that men and women endure, including the pain of death itself, but he did not just die, he endured the cursed death of the cross. He died a particularly difficult death. Indeed, it is well known that to die on the cross, being hung on a cross, was a most painful and excruciating experience. There are certainly much better ways to die, but Christ died a brutal death. He was terribly mistreated in the moments leading up to his crucifixion. He experienced great agony there as he died the cursed death of the cross. But his descent was not finished at the cross. He descended further in that he was buried. He was buried. So he was taken down from the cross and he was put into a tomb. He was put into the grave. Matthew 12, 40 These are the words of Jesus. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
So there Christ's descent, there his humiliation continues. He died, he was removed from that cross, and he was put into the earth. But Christ did not remain there, he rose again. We will come to consider that next week. Lastly, our catechism says, and continuing under the power of death for a time. So he was placed into the earth, he was buried, and there he remained. When Joseph brought a linen shroud and took it down, took Jesus down, he wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. That is Mark 15:46. So that is a powerful image, is it not? Christ came down from heaven, was born, and that in a low condition, he endured the miseries of this life. He even took upon himself the wrath of God, the tur- cursed death of the cross. From there he was removed and he was buried. And the stone was rolled in front of the tomb. There he remained under the power of death for a time. So we are here considering the humiliation of Christ. He was our great prophet, priest, and king in his humiliation. He was our great prophet, priest, and king in his earthly ministry. He demonstrated that he was God's great prophet, priest, and king when he came to earth in order to accomplish our salvation. And soon we will learn that Christ is still our great prophet, priest, and king in his exaltation too. We must consider that the grave could not hold him. He rose again on the third day. He walked amongst his disciples 40 days and 40 nights, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and there he remains until he returns. He is our great prophet, priest, and king there as well. Christ was humbled for us, but we know because of his obedience he was also exalted for us, having accomplished our Salvation. There's application to be made from this, brothers and sisters. We are to be like Christ in His humility. Certainly, if Christ was humble for us, then we ought to be humble towards one another as we live in this world. We should not think of ourselves as much but little. We should not live for ourselves, for our own pleasure, but for the good of others and for the glory of God, just as our great Savior Jesus Christ did. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his humiliation. We thank you that he was made low for us, that he came willingly in obedience to you, O God, uh, that he suffered for us, that he died for us, and there he remained. We thank you that this is not the end of the story, uh, for if this were the end of the story, then Christ would not be our Savior. He could not be the Redeemer of mankind, for all men live in this world and die and are put into the grave, but Christ was victorious. We thank you for the work that he has done to earn for us the forgiveness of sins, to endure your wrath on our behalf, to rise from the dead in victory so that we might live in him. Do help us to cling to him, O Lord, and help us to be like him in this way, that we would walk humbly before you, our God, that we would walk humbly before one another. It's in the name of Christ that we pray and all of God's people say.